Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Amelis on the 4th. On today's episode, we're chatting with my bud, Kelvin Lee. Kelvin's an old friend and collaborator of mine. We chat about his Project Parker, house music, graffiti, and other topics. We take it a bit street level, so if you're offended by language, I can't say I didn't warn you. Hey, so how's it looking in Maryland? Hey, man, it's, uh, it's maryland I mean, we're not rioting up here. We're chilling, as far as I know. Um, we're still setting off fireworks out this bitch, though. We're going, we're going ham out here. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're chilling. It's just cold and miserable. <laughs> Sounds about right. You know, we had the nicest spring in November, though, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, right? Dude, it was fucking beautiful. It was beautiful the past, like, up until now. It's been amazing outside, and then it just shot, like, cold. Exactly. It was, like, open the door. You could almost hear George Benson's version of Breezin. Right. <laughs> like last week. You hear like the, the little fluttering flutes and shit like that. Oh, some grazing in the grass. <laughs> exactly. Now today, um, Norwegian black metal sounds. That's what Yeah, yeah, it's definitely with. a cradle of filth outside right now. So where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? Um, well, I was born in Howard County. Um, I grew up partially in Howard County until about like my last year in middle school. At that point, uh, my mom basically saw me as a troubled child and was like, okay, time to go to your dad's house now. So uh, at that point, I moved to Pennsylvania and uh, spent a lot of time there. Moved back here when I was 18. And uh, then I moved, I, I quote, unquote, moved to Florida for an internship. Didn't really grow up there, but um, I, did, I did more growing down there than anything. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then I, I came back up here and never looked back. I mean, it's just been... Yeah, the Marylander through and through. Which part of Florida? I moved in. I lived in uh, Kissimmee, not Kissimmee, Lake Buena Vista, because like I literally did an internship at Disney World. Oh, and I should mention I lived in Pennsylvania also. Um, oh, okay, cool. From the age of fourteen to eighteen, I lived in Pennsylvania with my dad. But uh, we had a big falling. Well, not really a big falling out. Um, I basically did something I wasn't supposed to, and uh, he asked me, "Do you think you're grown now?" And my dumbass was like. I'm 18. I can do what I want. He's like, cool, pack your shit and get out. And I was like, bet. So I just packed my shit and went to my mom's house. <laughs> Which is, yeah, yeah, I was I was hot-headed back then. But, like, I guess that was, like, a lesson within, you know. Eh, it's, it's about growth, actually, you know. Uh, it's, it's about growth. That's all I can say, you know. I mean, yeah, like... I mean, looking back on it, I'm honestly thankful that my dad took that approach because it kind of forced me to take a step back and, like, not be such so full of myself and think that I'm capable of all things. I mean, knowing that knowing that I'm not I'm, – I'm grown even though I don't – like, I don't know everything even though I'm grown. I think that's what that, that particular incident kind of told me. That's the first lesson. A lot of people don't – a lot of people – don't learn that's the first lesson just because you're grown doesn't mean you know everything you're still growing shit exactly yeah and you're going to continue growing at least mentally and emotionally until the day you die like you're going to be changing constantly and i think it's up to people to kind of let that change happen um i noticed that i noticed a lot of cognitive dissonance in the world today um people who were brought up uh, to believe a certain thing and as time goes by you can tell that they don't really believe it as much, but because they were brought up in it, they can't let it go. Um, for me, that was like the church. Um, I was kind of I was brought up uh, was it Pentecostal, and like honestly, that the Pentecostal church taught me a grand total of nothing. Um, 
if I can be honest, it taught me a grand total of nothing, because all it was was like those other, like every single sermon was like those other religions aren't real, like this religion is real, but like I'm sitting here learning about religion and doing my own like independent theism like research and seeing like dude, you know we all worship the same god, like most monotheistic religions go to the same god, but you know I let that go, and it took a while for me to kind of break that cognitive dissonance of like. Well, I was taught this back in church, and like people are out here doing this. It takes a while for people to break that, um, and I think if we could just figure out a way to get through that, just kind of like you know, get out of your echo chamber. I'm rambling. I guess what I'm trying to say is get out of the echo chamber and uh, you know break that cognitive dissonance, and the world would be just a so much better place. So, what were like your primer bands? Uh, for me, um, I guess when it comes to like punk rock, my primer bands were definitely. Um, uh, agnostic Front, which is more like New York hardcore, but oh, yeah. I mean that that pushed me into like the vein of punk. Um, so from Agnostic Front, um, I moved on to like the Casualties, um, nice. more like screamy shit, like shit that just like I guess was a visual rep- or um, an audio representation of how I was feeling at the time. Oh yeah. Um, and then like from there, I didn't really step out of the punk scene. I just didn't follow it as much because, like, I, w- I was in, like, a band that lasted two months called Apnea, and it was a crust punk band. So that kind of pushed me back into the scene. Um, uh, but after that, after that band broke up, I just, I guess my music mind just kind of exploded, and I started to get more into, like, progressive. Like, Circus Survive, Coheed and Cambria became, like, my gods for a very long time. Uh, and I still, to this day, I, I follow everything Anthony Green does, uh, and I want to be Anthony Green. Like, I, that dude is fucking amazing. But, yeah, like, uh, for me, Punk, punk. The, the reason I really got into it was because, like, it was either that or join a gang, because I was a loner, and, like, no one really talked to me. So when finally, like, the punk kid came up to me and we started, like, talking, we, came, we became friends, end up going to his house and, like, he just unloads like this whole discography of just like amazing music and uh yeah so antonio jennifer if you're listening you my homie thanks for uh ruining my life kind of uh, <laughs> but yeah that's basically my whole foray into music i, I got into it uh, i started just i guess um i just started with you know listening to just trying to find the most angry music and then finding my niche from there so once you get start playing drums Oh gosh, this story is uh, amazing, but um, <laughs> drums for me um, was a mistake, uh, to be completely honest. Um, so basically, what happened was, like I said before, I grew up in the in the Pentecostal church, and Pentecostal churches are known for their their volume. Uh, and by volume, I don't mean amount of people; I mean amount of noise. They are very loud people. Um, oh, yeah. Lots of like, oh, thank you, Jesus, oh, Lord. And then, like, you know, praise breaks with really fast, almost punk-like drum beats. Um, I think that's where it so got like, it from. Yeah, I, like, honestly, I think that is, like, it, a lot of punk stuff came from the gospel scene. But, uh, yeah, like, I, I got into drums because um, at the church I was at, uh, shouts out Ebenezer, um, I, I, my grandmother was playing the drums, believe it or not. But um, she couldn't really play that well. Uh, she just she was just a kick snare kind of lady, um, and I'd get behind the drums in between services and just kind of you know tool around you know keep a beat going, and just play like it, it came natural to me the rhythm and the coordination came natural so 
So I just, you know, I kept doing it. And after a while, um, my grandmother would like look at me, point the sticks at me and be like, you play in the middle of a church service. Because, you know, she gets tired. She has to she has to preach. She has to make sure the church doesn't go off the rails. She has to play drums. She, that's a lot for someone of her age. Yeah. So she gave me the kit and she gave me the sticks. And ever since then, you know, they've been sitting me on the kit. Um, even like I was like five years old at this point and my legs could not reach the pedals. I had I would lean back against like the chair I, and I, I had to lean back against the chair like in just to be able to reach the pedals. I couldn't sit on the seat. Um, but eventually, yeah, just that stuck. And since then, I've just been like trying to expand and like see how many different genres I can play. Um, and like, yeah, after I left the church, um, you know, I started, I played in a punk band, um, Apnea. After Apnea, I was in um, the next band I played drums for was actually, I think it might have been Jenny Hayes Techno. Um, really? Yeah. So yeah. I this other band you mentioned a while back. It was like trying to be class. Yeah, it was like trying to be classic rock, and it was something like that too. It was this weird mix of classic rock or something else you mentioned a while back. Yeah, it was. A, it was that was Evoca. It was like it was classic rock mixed with like some psychedelic elements. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like it was just the the thing about that band was that the guitar player had an issue with not having complete control. And, you know, I understand that with some bands, like with, with any band, it's good to have a leader, a guy that, you know, kind of keeps every, uh, basically a bookkeeper of sorts, where you're, you're writing some, you're, you're the caveat that gets the band going, I guess is what I want to say. So I think uh, this kid, I'm not going to put his name out there because he's, he's got a, a business now playing guitar weddings, playing uh, guitar at weddings, so I'm not going like, to put him out there. But um, he was younger. He's grown. Probably. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a while back. Um, but he, and it, this is one one story that I tell everyone. I, I tell everyone the story. Um, just because it's so fucking funny and it's it's hilarious to think about how naive and how stupid I was to uh, classic rock. So uh, one day, you know, we're all uh, Avoca. We're all sitting around. We're writing, writing music and. Uh, and the the guitar guy, we're just gonna give him a fake name. Um, I'm gonna call him uh, water, water bottle. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, oh no no no, I'm I'm gonna call him Petite because he was a little guy. So um, oh, that explains <laughs> a lot. Yeah, exactly. He was a little short dude, but uh, so Petite would would come in. And he's like, I got this song, guys. And he, he wrote down the lyrics and gave the lyrics to the singer, and the singer starts looking through the lyrics, and. Uh, He's like, okay, so the guitar part, and me and him start going over, uh, going over the music, the music part of it, like the melody, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like, for this part, you're gonna play this, you're gonna play this, you're gonna play this. Uh, and then like, you know, we figured it out, we got it all down, we played it out, and uh, it took me about a year of playing that song out to realize that it was a cover of "Communication Breakdown" by Led Zeppelin. Took a year though. It took me a year because I didn't know the band that well at that time. Oh, okay. Did he even mention and it to you? He didn't. He said he wrote the song. He's like, I wrote this song. It's called Communication Breakdown, and I'm like, oh, it sounds pretty cool. Uh, and I looked at the lyrics, and the lyrics, like, I'm like, dude, these are really good. Like, you know, the lyrics are really cool. You know, communica communication breakdown. It's always the same. Having a nervous breakdown, driving me insane. I'm like, dude, that's really good. Uh, and like, I don't know. It just. I was slow to the punch, man. I was really slow to the punch at that time. But the fact that he said he wrote it, though. 
that's what annoyed me the most, dude. Like it, it. That's what hit me, the most. Like, dude, if you wanted to do a cover, just do a fucking cover, man. I mean, we're sitting here doing fucking Sublime color covers. All right, biggest influences you've had, and what you learn from them? Uh, biggest influences. Um, hmm. uh, Josh Efford, definitely from Coheed and Cambria. Um, from him, I kind of learned. Uh, I learned the importance of metronomes from Josh Shepard. Um, because uh, if, you, uh, if you've ever heard, um, what's the, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth, um, that's their second, Coheed and Cambria's second album. Josh Shepard is sharp as a fucking thumbtack. But, excuse me, this whole time he's uh, just ripping out these licks and chops that fit within the song just perfectly. And, um,. Like it's almost jazz like. His his approach to drumming to rock drumming is jazz. Almost jazzy. Like and uh so I take a lot of influence from that. Um Thomas Bridgen, of course. I think there's if any drummer out there doesn't at least respect Thomas Bridgen for his abilities as a drummer, you're you're lost. The it's lost on you because the this man is amazing. Um and the 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 way he plays, um the way he plays, definitely, you can kind of see it in the way that I play, where... Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, very yeah. choppy, super, like, I try to be as fast as possible, but still sharp, and always come back on the one. That's, oh, yeah. like, that's, I guess, that's, those are the rules that I, I, feel, I feel like Thomas Pridgen lives by. Um, more recently, though, um, Ronald Bruner hmm. has definitely been a big influence. Um, he played in Suicidal Tendencies, um... He also played with Kamasi Washington. He's played with Thundercat. I mean, he's played with so many just big name, amazing acts. Um, I actually got the, um, I had the privilege of seeing him play live at Wolf Trap with Kamasi Washington, and Herbie Hancock was the headliner. Oh my God, that show was fucking great. But um, it live, it, it, he's just as good live as he is on the kit, like as he is on on uh, on the album. Um, and it's just just seeing that the way that he plays and how he incorporates like the double kick into the jazz and uh, into like jazz and how he incorporates just like he his understanding he has this understanding of rhythm that I could it, it would take me years to even touch to even like be able to see from afar and I I want to like that inspires me Ronald Bruner's understanding of rhythm makes me want to get deeper into that and understand rhythm even more and like understand theory even more because I know that if I if I do that and I really push myself to do that I can be just as good as Ron as Ron Bruner I can be just as good as Thomas Pridgen and I I I want to say I can be just as good as Everett but I I feel like I can I can ruin Everett and drum off uh <laughs> so yeah but yeah I mean that's that those are my influences um a lot of a lot of that, um, but okay. So that's just drumming, though. On the other hand, we have like I, I do so many different things. It's hard to really uh, there's so many different influences because I do so many different things. You know, like I make house music, and for me, my house music influences was like. Okay, so my biggest influences uh, in house music are uh, definitely Channel Trey. Uh, what else is there? There's a uh, there's Channel Trey. I'm definitely really into like Masters at Work. They they really inspire me. Um, Ricky Tinez, his style of just like minimalist house has really pushed me to make my own kind of style that, in, in that sense. And uh, I guess the big, big, big one would be Kei Tronada. Um, Kei Tronada overall, just everything he does is almost like it's 
like two ticks to the left of what you think you're going to hear. And I think that's just delightful. I mean, that he can do that. He can give you not what you want to hear. Like, it's something that he'll give you what you didn't know you wanted to hear. And that's what I like about Kate Trinata, and that's what I want to kind of get to with that. Hmm. That's actually pretty dope, actually, because, you know, speaking of which, you know, I'm going to get a bit personal on here, actually, but it's kind of a cool story, right? Mm-hmm. From my understanding, your dad was a bit of a househead, too, when he was, when he was com- coming up, right? Yes, yes. All right, he was over. He had a membership of Paradox, right? Yep, still he still has his card from '92. <laughs> I thought you mentioned that a while back, you know. Yep. So, I don't know. Did he ever kind of share, expose any like, you know, any house music, you know, around you? Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I mean, I, I, a lot of my childhood memories are of sitting in my dad's riced out Jetta or his riced out like Rabbit. Uh, just listening to house music, you know, the old, like, the old greats, like Marshall Jefferson, you know, um, Freddie Fingers, or, um, you know, uh, gosh, names are totally escaping me right now, but, you know, like, the really big, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the really big names of, of house music that came out, out of Chicago, because he was a really big Chicago house head. Frankie Knuckles? Um, Frankie Knuckles, yes, yes, Frankie Knuckles. Tears is a jam. What is it? Tears, that's my fucking jam right there. Oh, God, you such a fucking jam. For me, though, I like the, um... What's it? The whistle song, man. Yes. The whistle song just gets me in my vibe, man. I love that shit. And yeah. of course, can you feel it? You can't, you can't have a house party without playing. Can you feel it? Fuck no. Like, because like you play it. Once you play that, you can tell who's here for what. You know what I mean? Like you play, you play. Can you feel it? And the the real house head would just start going off. Like, can you feel it? And like, and then like you have like the other kids that are just like, "What the fuck is this, man? Play some more Avicii. What the fuck, man? Play some Tiesto." Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yo, did you ever just one? Okay, because I just heard about them. All right, so let me explain. My buddy Janaeak. Anyway, they grew up on a lot of house, and what happened was because we're talking about you know people getting outraged over you know songs like WAP and everything, right? All I'm gonna yeah. say right here is this. You know, for a generation that will yell to the windows, to the walls, to the sweat drops down my balls, we can pretty goddamn judgmental. Oh my gosh, yes. Thank you for saying that, because that's so fucking true, man. But she put me she put me on this one group called the Out There Brothers, right? And he had a song called Fuck You in the Ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it just I'm just like Wait, what? Oh, I God. never heard this song. It was like some of the rawest, raunchiest shit I've ever heard, you know. And yeah. I was like, it was just fucking, it was some, I was, just, oh my God, because I never heard this song, right? Um, yeah. But it was just one of those kind of deals, right? So, I grew up on House 2, but it was more of the older stuff, like Marshall Jefferson, you know, Frankie Knuckles. And of course, all right, back in the day, they would actually play Black Box, The Sounds of Blackness, or whatever, on WKYS and WPGC. And don't get me started yeah. on Baltimore Club. You know, <laughs> don't get me started on that ass shit. Cause, you oh, know, oh my gosh, like. Baltimore Club, I, I don't like it. I don't go out of my way to listen to it. Um, but if it's like, if I'm at a, if say I'm a fat, if I'm at the Crown and like they're playing it, I won't not dance. Exactly. <laughs> but hey, like, I, I, I talk, will. I'll be grudgingly danced. <laughs> I used to talk to K Swift a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. That fucked me up. I'm telling you, that fucked Dude. me up. Because... Yeah, because like everything changed when she when she passed away. Cause, yeah. Like radio had to change. They they yeah. don't play half as much like club music as they used to. No. I mean, they they still have the segment. I'm pretty sure. I haven't listened to the radio in quite some time, but I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they still have the segment in honor of K Swift, but they don't do it as often. 
shit, you know, it's like, shit, we're, my biggest regret, and it was in 2009, and I was actually at Artscape. Oh, man. But I had a splitting migraine. <laughs> oh, damn, that sucks. So it really it felt like somebody hit me in the head with a hammer. So, oh, dude, I can, I bet, dude. So I couldn't enjoy it, though, you know? So Yeah. Like, it was under, it was behind my eye and shit, you know? Oh, God, yeah, those are the worst ones, man. So those maybe it shitty. was something telling me, John, just, just head, just head back, just head back. Yeah. Just you know? Reel them in, yeah, take them on home. You know, something like that, you know? Oh, but going back to what you were saying about, like, how, how this generation's music is kind of, like, kind of gross, you know, Mozart, wrote a song Little called Lick, lick Me and yeah, Lick Me in Arsh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you know the weirdest thing? Somebody okay, this is one of the okay, I shit you not this happened. I regret listening to it. But it wasn't that bad, but it could have been way better. So what happened was was Jack White, um Jeff the Brotherhood and Saint Clown Posse did a cover. Okay. I, of Lick Mick Ein Arsh. They did a cover? Yeah, they did. It was basic. It was Violent J freestyling over it. And so Mozart, he was a freak or something like that. It was like. Wow. It was just. I'm like, it was one of those things where people forget about because they want to forget about it. And I don't blame them for forgetting about it because out of all the shit they did, that wasn't their finest moment. Right. It I mean, but sense. still, ICP isn't really known for their fine moments. Oh, fuck no. It's like. <laughs> I'll put it this way. The thing I admired about them, you know, is simply enough, I'll put it this way, any group that basically will do some wild shit basically without MTV's, you know, help, basically doing the DIY route, you know, there's something mm-hmm. about that I kind of admired, you know? I mean, yeah. hell, they literally basically did get the Let's Go All The Way video on TRL, but they said, oh, apparently it's a glitch, so we can't play that. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> and they and there were a bunch of juggalos out in New York and Times Square. They said, if we have a gathering of some random people, they sh- spat on them pretty much. Jeez, man. So, I mean, like, you know, it's complicated. You know, before COVID, it was like, were you still involved in the raver scene? And what was it like? Um, I was kind of raver adjacent back uh, in right before covid i was more so raver adjacent like i still have my friends and like i still go to to an event here and there but um i was more so in the diy uh diy folk in like metal scene um more than that but back when i was raving uh weekly (coughs) the scene was a lot different than how it is now um or how it was because it used to be like, it, you could see everything. Everything changed. Like, if you look back at early 2000s, the ravers from the early 2000s, uh, and compare that to the ravers of today, you'll notice that there's a lot of clothing missing. Um, there's a lot, like, we back in my day, we used to wear, like, the fat pants and, like, the cake wears and, like, a brightly colored, brightly colored like, video game t-shirt or something. Something that's going to, like, you know, it's going to pop off in the UV lights. Now they don't wear clothes. Like it's, uh, there's more so. The last rave I went to, I saw more pasties than I could ever hope to see in my life. Like everybody's just titties out. Like, and that's cool. I'm down with titties, but like, it's just, uh, I, and I have no complaints about it. I'm not gonna say like, I'm gonna sit here and like complain about it. But where I am complaining is where um, I guess the bros started to come into the scene. Yeah. Because they weren't there for the music, they weren't there for the plur. That you happens know, the every time. Respect. Exactly, exactly. Every Whenever you have time. a good scene, you have a good family, you have a good 
a good, you know, just base of something, there's always going to be someone who's going to come in and ruin that shit. This and, happens you know, every fucking time. Like, for example, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, Nirvana, right? Um, yeah. Same thing with Kurt. Like, that was one of the things you realized, okay, the same macho trucker, you know, trucker hat wearing assholes was starting to come to Nirvana shows. And he felt like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? This is, I don't want these kind of people here. They're going to harm people, you know? Right, right. That music is not for you. Like, that not music's at all. not for like, those guys. The same thing, that's what the song In Bloom was about, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Even The Cure, it's like, you know, I remember seeing, like, okay, when The Cure was getting popular, it's like guys start coming out at the shows because that's where the chicks were and everything, right? Yeah. Um, shit, even, okay, I remember it was kind of funny, like, all right, back in my day, we had to deal with, like, you know, really bad, bad comic book movies, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Comic-Con around 2010 became a press junket. Right. It became a, a big, big press thing for people. Exactly, right? So then you had people basically, and the thing about it, I don't mind scenes growing, but I prefer to grow in a healthy manner. When you, and the thing about it is, no, we're not saying mainstream, basically people just turn to a creep fest, because already creepy motherfuckers already there anyway. But yeah. if you already have shit in the scene, do you really need vomit and other fluids too? Do you really need that? No, I don't think it's really necessary. I think it's just uh, it's uh, catering to the the chaotic evil crowd, I guess. Exactly. So this is one of those things and everything, right? So then... Yeah, because I remember when I was coming up, when I, because I remember when I started going to conventions around 1990, yeah, like 1998, the first convention went to Otakon, right? And it was, oh yeah, Otakon's my shit. <laughs> exactly, like, that's my fucking shit, you know, I was going to Otakon for years, right? And mm -hmm. until, like, Otakon and Katsukon, actually, I almost got into a fight at Otakon one time, right? This one guy looked like Kenny Omega, actually, we had, we kind of had a stare down. It was a <laughs> weird incident. Um, What happened was, but I'm noticing... It seems like it. It seemed like it was a little more peaceful then, at least from what I noticed. It seemed like nowadays, it seems like they're kind of picking up. They're getting into cosplay for all the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I definitely know what you mean. Like a lot of people just cosplay because it's a way for them. It's content for their OnlyFans, basically. Exactly, and I was like, I got no problems with that and everything, but I kind of felt like the if the lack of sincerity is there. Like for example, like. And and then the thing is, this is a bunch of other shit too that I'm really, I do get concerned about. And the thing about it is, it's always okay. One thing I'm kind of tired of like these these new motherfuckers complaining about. Like you know, when I had, it's like when I was coming up, it's like we had to go on YouTube. I'm like, you had YouTube? You had right? Like, dude, YouTube was a is a new thing still. For I'm me. like, I had to know somebody. I stumbled across it though, you know. It's like that, that looks like that looks kind of cool, actually, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's kind of weird. I see all this Dragon Ball Z slander, right? And uh, see, I, he, I see it too. Here's the thing about it. here's the difference. Okay, there are wrestling fans and there are WWE fans. There is a difference, and there are anime fans and there are niggas that have basic cable. <laughs> yep. There is a difference. That is true. That's you know, true. Because all right, I grew up on. Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, of course, and the reason why it was important because you never saw anything like that before. Also, Sailor Moon, also Akira, also Vampire Hunter yeah. D was like a big, you know, thing too. You know, shit. Definitely, definitely. Um, like Dragon Ball Z, Speed Racer, even like Speed Racer. Like, thank yeah. you. Um, shit. A little bit later on, oh shit, G Force. You know. Oh, oh my God, yes, G Force, fucking... and stuff like that, and everything, right? So, 
like early I just Pokemon. Love, it's like exactly Pokemon as well, Digimon too, you know, mm -hmm. shit like that. So also Yu-Gi-Oh as well. So it was. Just, oh God, yeah. <laughs> you know, so either way, it was like I just really enjoyed the art and everything. And hell, I'm when my mom's just starting to go to conventions and we try to find like. We literally basically try to recreate the Dragon Ball thing, like going to find like actual the actual mangas, right? In nice. Japanese in fucking kanji from oh, Jump. Shit. That's what I would do. Like I would watch on international channel, like, you know, it was like camera channel was my man thirty six B at nine thirty at night. So King of Hill was on, but I said fuck King of the Hill. It turned to a bunch yeah. of redneck jokes anyway. So I watched <laughs> on international channel the raw Dragon Ball Z in straight up Japanese. Holy shit, no subs or nothing? No, I know what the fuck they were saying, but I was seeing like <laughs> it's like so damn. That's a that's a big hole they blew through Goku. <laughs> I didn't see that. I didn't see that Saturday morning. What the oh, fuck yeah. happened? Oh shit, right? It's like, dude, we missed so much. Like there's so many things that Japanese people just didn't didn't lay on the Americans, man. Exactly, you know. And so like, I'm I'm still like I'm still kind of holding a grudge over Final Fantasy 2, man. We still didn't get that shit. True. You know, so it's just like stuff like that where, you know, and the thing about it is, I grew up on that, and of course, I've always, like, Naruto is, like, I'm starting to appreciate it more, but then everything started to copy itself, if that makes sense or not. Like, for example, I kept on hearing, I kept on seeing, like, a variant or variation of, you know, what was that one show, Bleach? Oh, yeah. And everything seemed like <laughs> a copy of Bleach, and I'm like, okay, this is alright, I guess, you know, but is this, but here's the thing about it, it was for somebody else to get into. You know, so, mm. I'm glad it was there. You know, I finally sat down and watched Death Note. Because let me tell you right now, the way Death Note was explained is nowhere near as good as the show. The explanation is nowhere near as good as the show is. Oh, hell no. Dude, Death Note is so fucking good. It is fucking amazing. I've really enjoyed it, you know. But Have the you way seen the Japanese live action yet? No, I haven't, no. You gotta watch it, man. It's not on Netflix. You're gonna have to do some searching for it, but there's a Japanese live action of Death Note that is fucking impeccable dude ryuk is perfect in this one That's like, right, I, I don't know if you've, if you've ever seen uh the uh like you've seen pictures of like ryuk irl and all that shit yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it that's exactly how he looks in the in the live action and it's the whole series kind of like condensed down to like four hours worth of movie but it's so fucking funny oh god so nice bad. all <laughs> right so because i know like what are you what are your thoughts on the whole weeaboo thing uh, in terms of, like, just, like, what do I think of weebs? Yeah, what do you think of weebs, actually? Because I remember when I was coming, they were called otaku, so I'm like, what the fuck's a weeaboo? Okay, so, um, I've been called a weeb just because I have, like, a basic understanding of the Japanese language, but, like, in that Japanese, that basic understanding came from taking Japanese classes and watching anime. Hi. But, like, I don't think, I think that the term weeb, um... I think we're using weeb in America the way that Japanese use otaku. Uh, I think the term is, honestly, I think it's warranted. I think that some people need to understand, like, yo, your weebness is some bullshit. Like, make this shit stop. I think weebs are really annoying. To 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 uh, make it, to to be frank, I mean, like, there's stories. You can look on, on Reddit, and you look at Tales from the Convention or Neckbeard stories. It's nothing but weebs just, like ruining lives and it's not because you know they're into anime or you know they they have this thing it's they're they're ruining it because they're so socially inept it's hard for them to pick up one shit you know what i mean i have a theory though i don't think a lot of people picked up on what's up a way the way people describe like i was like okay when somebody says 
you know, you see that meme saying, no, we didn't make funny because you're like anime. We made funny because you have no personality, you're socially awkward, and you smell weird and do strange things. I'm like, you mean it's possibly autistic? Yeah, 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 actually. I'm like, it have you be. ever considered that? Like, maybe they're not exactly as neurotypically blessed as you, motherfucker. I mean, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Like, and like nobody uh, maybe ever I, maybe picks up on good. that. I'm not talking about you, but just generally speaking, I'm not... And no, I'm not trying to basically, you know, basically try to, like, you know, defend the guy that hates to make the stallion because she's the girl who likes anime. I'm not saying that. That guy's a fucking asshole. But some yeah, of yeah, them, that's not... You can't justify that. There's no way you can justify yeah, that. Yeah, someone <laughs> might have a little neuro, neurological thing here, so it's almost like, you know, because I'm like, you ever consider... Because I'll put it this way. I was... As I diagnosed on the spectrum, I was like 14 or 15, right? And trust me, right. it's taking a lot of shit for me to work on, actually, you know? Yeah, yeah. So either way, it's like it's almost like, and people always say, like, well, of course, you're not supposed to. I was like, okay, Matt Murdock isn't somebody able to see either, but he can still bump around shit and everything. Right, Same right. Idea. So point being, though, it was like, uh, yeah, it, some people might not be, you know, it's, you're expecting certain things from certain people that you shouldn't expect. So I'm not... Just to be more considerate, you know, instead of just being a fucking douchebag, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, like, going back to it, though, um, I think, like, with with the Weeaboo crowd, um, it's more, like, how people perceive them um, that really gives them that name. Um, I guess, and a good example, I mean, we can we can look at Otakon. Um, a lot of the people that we considered weebs are, are stank. Like, dude, they stank. And... Some of them do, yeah. It's like... That reminds me. All right, check this shit out. Um, when they showed the Dragon Ball Super movie with Broly, right? Yeah. And it was playing over the Hoyt. You know, what's a, I'm dating myself here. No, I think it's called Regal now. Let's call it Hoyt. It's probably for a Magic Johnson theaters. You live in PG, man. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so if I want to go there for commentary, I go there. Actually, you know, somebody got shot over there once. I was like, fuck this shit. Why am I not surprised if someone got shot at the Magic Johnson Theater? Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like true shit. Somebody got somebody rolled up. Somebody popped them three times. Dude, like, that wasn't a matter of if. That was a matter of when. Exactly, you know. <laughs> so what happened was it was over over the Regal by my old townhouse and everything, right? And what happened yeah. was my cousin, you know, my cousin Dominic and I, it's cool. He's like, shout out to Dominic. He, he listens to the show, too. Um, yep. And what happened was there was on the, it, was, it was on the marquee, right? But we got a ticket for it, though, right? So what happened was, so Dominic was like, are you sure it's the right theater? I was like, hold on a second. Yeah, so right one right here. <laughs> and I was like, how do you know? I've been going to conventions since 1998. I know my people. I can smell a convention from a mile <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it was fucking Geek Reek, you know? A Geek Reek. I love that. I'm fucking oh, I'm putting that on a shirt. Shit, you know? It's like, and it was those, those guys standing around basically with the black girls don't like me because I watch anime shape up too. So I kind of knew my fucking tribe oh, wow. is here. Oh, gosh. Oh, you mean the, the tight fade? Yeah, but it's like it's kind of messy in the front a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you got the three all over with like it looks like a yeah, like a Charles Schultz drew your lineup. Pretty much, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Like you know, and it's like so. I think it was way for somebody. So it was like I kind of figured, yeah, it was like it smelled like a damn convention in there. Yeah, that's probably the theater. And so the movie it was weird because there was so many trailers for it. it was like so for some SpongeBob movie or right? so. Don was like, "Are you sure?" I was like, "Trust me, I know. It smells like it smells like a convention in here." <laughs> and then it popped up and we're like, huh? It's like I was like, Yeah, no. Yeah, like dude, I knew from an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, so back to it though, because I wanted to talk more about like okay, cause alright, you've really put me on to math rock, especially Japanese math rock. 
Oh, yes. But you know what I've really been getting into lately? What's up? Fucking City Pop. City Pop, fuck yes, dude. Maria I mean, Takeuchi can get it any day. And also, Tashiro Yamashita, great guitar player, but amazing choice of bass and basses and drummers. Like, holy shit. Yeah, that's what, like, you hear a lot of really interesting bass lines in, uh, in City Pop. It's, it's, I'll put it this way. It's everything I wanted, like, 80s R&B and Boogie to sound like, but it's yes. It's like they added something to it. It's almost like Shaka Khan, they work with Steely Dan. It's, I think it's the key in which they work. Like, a lot of those, uh, I, I'm not a music theory guy, but, you know, I can tell that they work, that a lot of City Pop songs are in uh, the same scale. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily the same key, but like the same scale, and that scale is just so infectious. It's the same, the same scale that you'd hear in like anime openings. Yeah, it's same that, progression. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a very common Japanese progression, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, I also love like you know, I'm really getting the Japanese rock too. You know, like I remember because yeah. back when I was, well, I'll say a lot of back when I was coming up. I'll put it this way: Ark and Seal played uh, Baltimore Arena. In oh yeah, and I missed it, and I was so pissed I missed it. Hey, I missed it too, man. And I didn't realize how good they were until I realized how good they were. So I feel like fuck, I missed <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, my um, first song I heard from them was "Ready, Steady, Go," and I was like, oh, this is okay. Yes, that was and my then shit. I got the album, and I was like, oh shit, there's a "Ready, Steady, Go" single where every single member of the song, every single member of the band has a version where they sing the song. Really? And that was cool. Yeah, yeah. The, if you know. look up the, the Ready, Steady, Go single, um, there's there's a, a version for each member of the band, and each member sings the song, sings the song in their own way. Um, and then there's, um, and then the, when I heard Link, Link was the song that was like, okay, this band, they're, they're on something. Like they're, yeah. they're definitely on to something right now. Totally. Like, I really dig, like, you know, that one band, I'm really dating myself here. Um, okay, aside from Ark and Seal, Stance Punks is pretty cool, too. Not um, familiar, actually. Shit, what was, this is another one, too. Um, it's it's almost like, it's like, a, they're called Sex Machine Guns, too. They're fucking amazing, you know? Sex and Machine also, I love that. also X, you know, X Japan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, X Japan, yeah, yeah. They're definitely. fucking great. So, so I try to keep an eye and ear for basically newer Japanese rock stuff, because... They did hair metal right. I mean, they really did, yeah. I mean, they, they took... Visual K was Japanese hair metal, and they did it, like, the way it was meant to be, and it was just right. Like, exactly, you know. So good. Exactly, you know. And, so, I mean, have, are you listening to anything recent, like, Japanese-wise? Uh, anything Japanese-wise recently? It's like, not really. I gotta get more... I really gotta get into it, because I discovered City Pop, right? You know, so mm-hmm. kind of ironic, because to us, it's recent. To them, it's almost like, you like that shitty Pop stuff? Yeah, like, you know, right? that's 80s. That's exactly. 80s for us. So, <laughs> exactly, right? So I got to find out more about it. It's kind of mm-hmm. funny because cause I used to be really into J-pop, too, of course, you know, but now it's kind of yeah. weird seeing K-pop. I'm like, uh, there, I take it and take it or leave it. But I will say there is one artist in K-pop that has really just been amazing me with everything they come out with. Um, excuse me. This guy, Dean. Um uh, a, a lot of people may have heard of him because he did a track with Sid from the internet. Um, it's called Love, but like this dude, his songs sound like American R&B, but they have this like, there's this flavor to it that's that's almost like inherently Korean. I think it, I think that goes to like, I think Teddy Park did a lot of the the production for it, for his stuff. He's the same guy who did production for Twenty One, 
if you're familiar with that K-pop band. But they all have this really urban, like, almost like urban bubblegum is the only way I can describe it. Because yeah. it's very sweet and bubbly, but it's also very down and dirty, and you can fuck to it. So, like, it's just, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> like, um, yeah, but, like, Dean has really been really, um, I guess, tit late in my fancy in a way. He, the dude, the dude's amazing. Um, yeah. And then there's also Lamp C. Lamp C is, was another artist that I've been listening to on the Korean, on the K-pop scene. Um, I, I, I hesitate to call him K-pop. I want to call him more, like, DIY bedroom K-pop. You know, okay, because he does all the stuff himself. He does all the production, and it's it's R and B. Like it, it's it's fucking R and B, and it's it's fucking soulful for someone who's Korean. And it's it's just that soul comes from like deep within. You can kind of hear it. You can feel it, even though you don't know the language. You can feel it. And I, I love that shit about. It. And like my sister's really into it. So yeah. she, it all kind of like comes to me through her. All the a lot of the K-pop I listen to. Okay. All right, so I'm kind of curious. Where did Parker come from? Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, shout out to Janie for this one. Um, so I have this friend, Janie, um, recently moved to Delaware. But uh, we were talking for a little while. Um, not like that, but, you know, like we were friends and we were just, like, talking about, like, middle names and stuff. Uh, the, the the concept of middle names came up in conversation. And... Uh, I was like, so Janie, what's your middle name? And she's like, I don't have one. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I don't have a middle name. My parents never gave me one. Uh, I was like, oh, that's weird. I always thought it was like something like weird and like Chinese because she's Chinese. But yeah, I was yeah. like, she's like, no, it's uh, I don't have one. <laughs> so I was like, dude, that's weird. Well, mine's Timothy. And she goes, what? I thought your middle name was Parker. And I'm like, no, my middle name isn't Parker. But, I mean, I'm going to use that for a project later now that you brought it up. And, uh... So I did, <laughs> and that's that's where it came from. Hmm. That's actually pretty dope. I was like, "Wait, you, okay." Off the record, though, you got those. You, you didn't get the files right from the other session we recorded, right? Yes, sir. I right. had them. Those were fucking uh, dope, by the way. It's like, what was that song? It wasn't called "Lead Me to My Vices." What is this thing called originally? Ah, uh, God, I don't fucking remember. Um, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, don't. I actually don't remember. I don't recall. I'm gonna have to rename it. But uh, it's going to be coming out. Vices. It's something about vices. Um, I, I re- forget what it's called. But when it, when it comes out, um, it's going to be on the next the next Parker release. Oh. Cool. All right, all right. Back into it. So, what are your like your preferred DAW or DOS settings? What are your preferred settings? Um, let's see. For well, first off, I like to use. I've, I used to use Ableton a lot, um, but I moved over to Reaper. Um, because of the fact that I can change things on the fly in the DAW, um, and as, as such, my settings change like almost daily. Whenever I'm working in the DAW, um, the the interface will change as I'm working. And so I usually start. Um, I'll start with just like the basic setup. I'll have a uh, you know to I'll have my um. My samples up. I'll have my plugins down around the bottom, um, and that's that's just easy for me to access. I also have a dual monitor, so I can have my mixer on one screen and I have my timeline on the other screen. Um, so it's just it's it's easier to work through work that way. Um, I, I I don't really have like I, I'm not sure like exactly how to answer this question. Um, I like to throw in one stumper. <laughs> I like to throw in one, you know. 
Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, so plugin-wise, um, I like to use a lot of native plugins because the idea of downloading and like getting plugins onto my DAW is just just the thought of it gives me anxiety because it can either work or it could not work, and yeah. then like you end up wasting 20 minutes trying to figure out why it's not working, only to find out that it's not compatible with your DAW. And like it's like ah fuck that, I just use some native shit. And so I got Reaper because Reaper comes with just this slew of like native plugins, and all of them do something. All of them do something to better the music. Like all all of them are very useful. I've used a majority of them. At least once I've used. Um, but yeah, I think the only third-party uh, plugins I have right now are Zvolette, uh, which is from Yuhi. It's a little, uh, it's a small um, multi multi-wave synthesizer, uh, polyphonic. Um, it also, I also use this. Uh, I forget the name of it. I think it's called Real Drums or something. But um, I use that for drumming if I'm doing like something like that's not electronic. Um, and then Reassamp 5000 is probably like my biggest used, my most used plugin um, because it's it's a sampler and samplers are just the most useful thing for me when it comes to my style of music, styles of music that I make. Hmm. So do you prefer program, programming drums or playing drums live? I'd rather program. I'd rather play drums live, honestly, because it it just feels more organic. Um, programming drums, it's you can do things through programming that you wouldn't be able to do on a kit. Um, sorry, I, I got kind of low there. I was rotating my mic. I didn't realize it. No, but um, um, yeah, like I, I'd rather play drums organically. Um, I just I don't have the the ability to to do that right now because I'm living in an apartment in like Baltimore City. So <laughs> the only way I can do that is if I get like an electric kit, and that's financially not really uh, feasible right now. Yeah. So I I do program drums more often than not um, now. But once I get that electric kit, it's going to be mostly organic. Cool. So um, you were like a tagger for a second, right? Yes, sir. How'd you get into graffiti? Um, okay, so I got into graffiti. Um, I think my first encounter with graffiti was in high school uh, with this kid, Mark Holcomb, who I, I hope he still writes today because that dude had a hand to – that dude c could compete with, like, most of the dudes out here tagging today, that dude had an amazing hand. Hmm. But um, I got into it. Like I, I saw it the first time I saw it was in high school with Mark, and then I just kind of you know I tried it. You know every once in a while I'd get bored, pull out my pull out my sketchbook and just you know draw some words. Um, I didn't really get into like getting up on walls or anything like that until I moved to Baltimore City um, when I was like when I was uh, 19. Um, I think it was somewhere around that time. Um, but I lived in Baltimore City for a little while, and I used to live in this house of ravers and artists. And uh, one of the artists, uh, shout out for us, uh, he's got a he's got a little company now called Focus and Finesse. Make sure you check him out. Um, he would go out and tag, and we go we'd go out on missions together. Um, and that's ever since then. I just like I I've been doing it. Um, but I stopped going up on walls when I almost got caught. Um, it was actually under the bridge. It was on Edmonton Avenue, I believe it was, um, right down the street from where my grandma rest her soul used to live. There's this overpass, and underneath the overpass, it's just perfect to to tag. Like the walls are just like smooth and pristine. You could just go up there and like it's just beautiful. So um, uh, my boy Frost goes up there. He's throwing up something, and 
you know, as he's throwing up something, a truck pulls up and stops and just watches him do it. And so I think, oh, well, he's, maybe he's into art. But then I realize Frost isn't doing a piece. He's not doing something that's artistic, so to speak. He's throwing up a basic throwy, like a bubble letter, just to get fame. That's, you know, people tag for different reasons. I tag because I like the, the art of it. Frost tagged because he liked the fame. And he's, he's also like the art, you know. But um, yeah. the fame was a big thing. And so the guy saw it and basically waited for Frost to just finish filling it in. And then I saw the – I looked in the in the truck and I saw the guy had his phone. Oh, and shit. Yeah. I put two and two together and I was like, yo, we got to go now. He's calling the cops. So, like, after that – at that point, you know, we start walking. We start walking slow, like very, very slow to see if this guy's actually following us. Uh, and he was. Uh, so we keep walking and walking and walking, and he's like, "All right." On, Frost looks at me and goes, "Like on three, you ready to run?" I'm like, "All right, cool." So three, he goes one, two, three. We run up this abandoned house. I ditch all my cans, and you know, we go around this back way, and we come out at Edmondson Shopping Center. And um, this shit was, and like we, we saw there were cops like in the parking lot of the shopping center, so we just like scooted the other way, like, "Oh fuck that!" <laughs> but uh, yikes. But since, since then, I, I I've been just like doing it on paper. Uh, whenever I get bored, uh, more so I just do like abstract art now. Hmm. But yeah, tagging tagging's fun, man. It's on. I, I look at it like a. It's almost like a an AR game, like an ARG kind of game. Um, that was that's a redundant statement. It's a it's like an ARG. Hmm. Um, yeah, because like there's people don't know, um, but in in graffiti there's like there are gangs. They're, I mean, not gangs. Uh, I crews. shouldn't call them gangs. Crews, yeah, they're crews. And then among these crews, there's crews, and then there's rules. So, like, say you're you're just coming up. You're basically a toy in the scene. If you see someone who's been up forever, you just don't go you don't go over them out of respect, and that's just one of the rules. And then you have like the hierarchy of pieces. So you have like the pieces at the top, which are like the really big, super colorful, like took hours to do things that you see. Yeah. And then underneath that, you have your bubble letters, your throw ups, all that kind of thing. And then underneath that, you have your hand styles, which are just, you know, basic writing your name, but making it pretty. Um, and like that's the hierarchy. So, you know, you have a, a hand style can't go over anything. And then, uh, you know, a, a throwy or a bubble letter could go over a hand style. And then, like, uh, a piece could go over all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, and then, like, it's the, the object of the, of the game is to just be, fam- be famous. It's, it's for people, it's to get your name up there more than anyone else's. Like, I got to meet, uh, I got to meet a, uh, a graffiti artist named Rome um, a while back. And meeting him... Like at the at the time I at the point I was at in my life, meeting him was like, it was like like meeting Cal Ripken or something. Like it was like meeting a really big celebrity because Rome had that fame. Oh yeah. And like you know he basically won the game. He got that fame. Everyone, if you walk around Baltimore, you find a graffiti artist, ask him about Rome. They will know about Rome. So getting to meet him and having him sign my black book was like, wow for me. You know. Oh yeah. I'm trying to figure out how they. Okay, there's some. You know, okay, there's some graffiti. I'm trying to figure out, like, how the hell did they get up there? Uh, yes, yeah, heaven pieces. Um, you just got to know. Like, you got to you gotta know someone or blow someone, or you just got to be really good at, like, climbing. Because, um, you know, there are a lot of places, yeah, there, where you're – if you lo- if you watch a lot of, like, 
graffiti documentaries, you will see like the the extent to which these people will go just to get a piece up in a place where they'll where you can see it. You know, um, some people will actually carry ladders around. Some people are good at uh, at you know climbing, just free soloing, and they'll free solo up the side of a building. They'll get up there, throw their sign up, and get down. Um, as far as like bridges and shit. You just gotta brave it out, man. <laughs> like if you're under a bridge, you gotta stand on the ledge and hope for the best, man. Just hope you don't fall. Um, yeah, I mean it's not like safety. It's just like how much balls do you have and how much do you want it. That's basically that's how they get up there. It's it's conviction, you know. Oh, okay, that explains a lot because I've been trying to figure that out for years. You know. Yeah, it's like there are ladders, and then there's also um, there's also this guy Crank. Um, well, his name's KR. He has a company called Crank, and he makes this fire extinguisher, basically. And the fire extinguisher um, is loaded with ink. You can take the ink and spray it at shit, like, long distances. So you can, if you want to get up, you can get up, like, really high if you want. I had no idea that existed until, like, right now. Yeah, that's, uh, graffiti artists to to art supplies are like stoners to smoking supplies. You kind of learn how to MacGyver shit. Tell me impressed. All right, I have three more actually, two music related and one actually one more culinary though. Let's go. So, all right, so you know, how'd you get into DJing? My dad. Makes <laughs> sense. Uh, my dad used to DJ a lot, and um, he DJed all up and down Charles Street, uh, Paradox. Like he's been all over the place DJing. Um, he stopped. He sold all of his equipment when he had me because you know. I'm expensive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, yeah, he he got me into DJing. He got me into the art of DJing. Um, I kind of, he bought me my first pair of turntables. My first, like, full setup was a Newmark, like, my first DJ setup. And it was vinyl. So, like, I wanted to be a purist so bad that my dad literally came to me and he was like, do you want CDJs or do you want vinyl? And I was thinking in my head, CDJs make more sense. You know, I could... I can burn a CD of my own original tracks, yeah. but my dumbass, being the fucking purist, was like, "Yeah, let me uh, get the vinyls, get the vinyls, Dad." But uh, yeah, I don't have the I don't have the turntables anymore. Uh, the mixer is still floating around somewhere. But uh, yeah, that's how I got into DJing. You know, I've been playing. I haven't DJed recently um, out. I do house parties every once in a while. Um, when the time comes, I'll be doing that again. But now I'm just focusing more on production and uh, I guess. Compiling a track, uh, uh, compiling a, a whole bunch of handmade, self-made tunes. So when I go out, I have shit that no one else has. That's fair. You know. All right. So one thing about Parker is very ukulele-driven, actually. So how'd you get into playing ukulele? Um, I got into playing ukulele oddly enough because um, I couldn't play guitar well enough to do what I wanted to do. Um, I like it's the thing about guitar. Um, for me is that there's a lot of strings and like for me that's really overwhelming um, but I can also like if I look at the ukulele it's only four strings four strings a lot of the chords are really easy to pick up um, and uh, I think I kind of gave up like I did I I, I kind of gave up on guitar um, at, at this point because I was like I need to write music I want to write something I want to I want to put something out but all I have are these fucking cowboy chords so I needed another instrument. I, I picked up the ukulele and found out that, like, damn, I'm I'm actually pretty good at this. And uh, never never looked back. That's fair because I can never figure out. I, two instruments I couldn't figure out, ukulele and mandolin. 
Yeah, mandolin's weird because it's like the the man. Yeah, banjo. I can't. I still can't quite uh quite get the hang of banjo. Um, I pick one up and it's just way heavier, and that's what yes. always gets me. It's like it's like oh banjo, cool. I'm gonna try to play it, and then I pick it up. It's like why is it so heavy? And the whole time I'm trying to like play, I'm like damn it, this thing is fucking heavy. But uh, yeah, I can't can't do banjo. I have I've strummed around on the mandolin because like it's uh if I if I remember what they told me, it's the top four strings of a guitar strung backwards. That that's what uh that's that's how you remember it. So like if you play uh, a D chord position, then it's like it actually works out. But like it's I don't know it's weird. So it'd be D G B E. You're saying? I I think so. I think so. It's yeah, um yeah. some sort of weird tuning. Uh, but it's it's basically the same tuning that a guitar would have, just a different octave and like backwards, like just strung upside down. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So here's the final one and. All right, so once you find out that you, you know, had a knack for culinary stuff, when did you figure out you had the knack? Uh, I was just thinking about this, actually, a few days ago. Um, well, I, I started cooking um, out of necessity. Uh, and for me, it was because, you know, I, I'm a latchkey kid. I, I grew up coming home before my parents did, um, before my mom did, I should say. Um, so when I got home, my mom wouldn't get home until like 6, 7 o'clock, and by that time I'd be famished dying. So I just learned how to cook by myself. And like I think the, le- the first thing I learned how to make was ramen, which is just boiling water. Um, and then like from there I started, uh, I got a job um, in an actual restaurant. My first job was McDonald's, but I ended up getting you know a- another job at a restaurant, and I realized like, like this is really fun. Like I like doing this. The cleaning part sucks, and some of my coworkers are like assholes. But I like this part. I like this sitting in front of a stove, cooking something, giving it to someone, and they look at it and they eat it and they love it. That I, I love that. You know, I always love. Um, I got into culinary because I like helping people. Um, I like making people happy more, more specifically. And the the easiest way to make someone happy without offering them a hand, if you catch my drift, is uh, making them some food. Just yeah. make them some food. You know, it could be whatever. Um, you know, actually, I have my friend here, Johnny, and uh, we've been eating up something, some nice shit the last couple of days. <laughs> I made some, uh, yesterday I made this, uh, these pork chops. And... <laughs> Yo, wait, wait, Johnny, he's the wrestling fan, right? What's up? Johnny's the wrestling fan, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, tell him I said what's up. It's been a minute. Yo, Johnny. John says what's up. What's Gucci? Johnny says what's Gucci. Here, say say what's Gucci. What's Gucci? What's Gucci? I'm shaking my head. He's doing his podcast with Kelvin. You know. Hello there, neighbor. Yep. <laughs> I see. I see you on the on the on the podcast. You're just having it. Having a. We're having a good time. We're playing some. We're playing some Mario Kart, and we're gonna have some Alfredo later. It's gonna. We're gonna have a good time. That's that's what we like to do around here in this in this here house. Oh, tell them. Tell them about the pork, man. Tell them about the that pork. pork. It was um was some juicy shit. Like I um. Uh, it was just, it was, um, delicious, and it melted my mouth, and it was, um, and, uh, I just sucked the juices right off the bone, and then licked the plate, and, uh, and then, uh, everyone looked at me, and was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, and I was like, first of all, this is, this is what I do, and they're like, sir, this is a Wendy's, so I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought this was fucking, I thought this was fucking America, I'm sorry, I guess we'll just put some clothes on because I'm fucking. You're gonna body shame me 
And I got this big old hairy asshole. You know what? Fuck these, fuck these guys. Yeah. I've actually heard that story a lot, except it usually was a woman named Wendy. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, shit got... It started going off the rails. I panicked. I'm sorry. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, last night, you know, we made I made the pork and I had some we got some garlic bacon potatoes with the Parmesan cheese in it. And I made some uh Parmesan crostinis with that and it was just it was a good time. And tonight we're having some uh Italian sausage Alfredo with uh some spinach. And like I make it because one, I like to eat and two because it's fun to see like John's reaction when he eats the food because like I know his reaction is pure. Like I know he's not gonna lie to me if the shit Oh yeah. So like, yeah. So that's. <laughs> oh, I can. It's happened. <laughs> like the thing about it is, like, I kind of go into phases, right? Like, for example, yeah. You know, I go into phases where I might get like, I might get the itch or like the bug and everything, right? So I might just kind of go off there, even though the stuff I make tastes amazing. It's just not as cosmetically pleasing, though. If that yeah, makes yeah. sense, you know. I mean, plating kind of comes with time. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be so difficult. But, I mean, a lot of it is, like, it is pretty hard to do sometimes because uh, an ingredient isn't always going to act the way you want it to act, you know? Yeah. Like, I might put a sauce on, I might garnish with, like, a sauce, and that sauce might be a little too thin, so it'll spread out and it won't look as beautiful. Like, uh, or you have to add some cornstarch or something, some flour to thicken up the sauce just to make it beautiful, just to make it look good. Oh, yeah, um, plate, exactly. Yeah, like, plating isn't always, like, it's not always necessary, but I like to I like to plate things the way that they would be plated in a restaurant just because it makes me feel happy <laughs> oh, yeah exactly you know and also would you say since you have like a background in the restaurant industry it's kind of an influence on you though like, yeah you know, yeah definitely look good you know yeah yeah i mean from just from my experience in restaurants i've learned so much just just from watching because you know I, i've done i've done the line cook but more often than not i'll line cook for like a week at a restaurant and then they'll just send me back to prep because of the fact that I like to kind of take my time. When it comes to making food, I like to make sure everything's good. Because if I don't, I feel like my, my inside paranoid brain is going to be like, ah, oh, fuck, you, you're fucking everything up. And, like, I wouldn't be able to handle that. So I, I prefer prep cooking because I like to take my time and kind of, you know, right. get real intimate with my food. One thing, <laughs> okay, I keep on hearing about line cooks. I don't know what true this is, but is it true that they do a lot of drugs? Yes, uh, Definitely. <laughs> I've a uh, as a matter of fact, um, a what friend is the of correlation? Mine... I'm just curious here because like, all right, my sister says lawyers drink a lot, so I hear line cooks do a lot of drugs. I'm trying to figure out. Okay, I have a theory on why, but okay, I'm willing to have it debunked though. So, what's the reason why for this? I want to hear your theory first. I'll tell you if you're right. <laughs> I would say okay if I heard a line cooks do a lot of coke because kitchens can be really intense. They have to really kind of keep keep everything up and everything so they have to basically work fast as a motherfucker so what you do that's why they're called line cooks that's my theory at least <laughs> well i mean they're, they're called line cooks because they stand on the line um oh, okay but like you're, well, you I are correct that. I, was, I kind of you figured are, that's why but you are correcting it. your you're correcting your assumption though um a lot of the line cooks we they do I, i'm not going to say we because i don't i don't partake in this particular drug but um they do they yeah, do cocaine saying, you know you don't say like uh, cocaine you know, just yeah, I mean, more I'm, psychedelics. I'm yeah, I, I love myself some LSD. I love myself some mushrooms. Yes, weed. but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a lot. I'm line cooks do coke because of the fact that you can't stop moving. Like if you stand for one second, the you, you're gonna fuck up the whole flow of the line. 
So oh. you have to keep moving. Um, that's probably why I didn't last long as a prep cook because I'm not. Oh. I don't do coke. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I I love prep cooking because you know I can smoke some weed, put on some music, and just like you vibe out. That being said, though, I uh, I've been microdosing LSD, um, and I tried it at work, and I like overshot it by like maybe ten micrograms. And let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That was quite the day, my dude. Like, it was so fucking good. The whole day, I was just happy. Everyone was super nice. Like, I was probably tripping it, but it looked like everybody was smiling. I was definitely tripping because everybody was wearing a mask. Um, Did so... the mask start talking? <laughs> no, I mean, like, it, it, the mask, it wasn't, like, that bad. It was It was definitely, like, think if I stood in one place and stared at one thing for too long, that thing would start to kind of, like, move or gyrate, but... Other than that, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I was just really happy, and like everything was super bright and vibrant. Uh, and then one of my uh, one of my superiors was like, "Oh, you're microdosing LSD." I microdose shrooms, and I was like, "I'm not alone." <laughs> Sounds like a great place, you know. Hey, that was Kelvin Lee. Check out Parker on Bandcamp, and also hear him playing drums with Genius Techno on the Alien Pond EP that can be found on Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, and other platforms. Till next time, peace. <laughs>